The second Bible reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3. And in some few Bibles, that's on page 1225. Page 1225. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the workings of his power, although I am less than the least of all God's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Doug, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's uh, come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. The word that is 
given to us by the Spirit of God. We pray this morning that you would encourage our hearts. That you would strengthen us from deep within, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, this morning, we're going to look at this topic, a prayer for strength. If I was to ask you today, how strong are you? I wonder what kind of response I will receive. I guess the immediate answer that perhaps comes up in your mind would be a reference to physical strength. You might think, well, I am strong. Think of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the big guy, the strong guy. Or perhaps, I don't know any other female uh, strong women around the world, but you might think, well, I am macho, I am it. I've got strength. Well, this morning, it's not my intention to talk about physical strength, because I think I will fail miserably. But I think this morning, I want to talk about another kind of strength. A prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, for Christians, a prayer for inner strength. The strength that we need from deep within. A strength to be able to live, a strength to be able to face the challenges and the complexities of life itself. This past week has been a challenging week for some of you in this congregation. For myself, we had two deaths in one week. I was at the bed of two people, that we, one person that you knew and, and one person that I knew from the Miso family. It was a challenging time to be with family and friends and to see their loved ones at the lowest point from a physical point of view. Struggling and uh, in the end being taken home to be with the Lord. See, life is complex and we need that inner strength that only God can minister to us. And so this morning... Come with me as we go on this journey and look at the text before us. It's part of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. Today the text is chapter 3.10 to 17a. I'll explain why I've taken chapter 3.10 to 13 and then coming up later from 14 to 17a. Because I felt last week that we could have looked a bit further on this section, chapter 3 verses 10 to 13, where Paul speaks about the church. And so this morning, we're going to look at two aspects here. The church and his prayer specifically for inner strength. Chapter 3, 10 to 17a is the text. You see, Paul says here in verse 10, if you look in your Bibles, please. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You can read the rest of the text there. You see, it is the purpose... And the task of the church to make Christ known. Is that clear? Do you agree with me? It's the purpose of the church to make Christ known in this world. John Stott, speaking on this passage about the church, uh, speaks of three grand facts of the church. I mentioned it briefly last week. The church is central to history. The church is central to the gospel, and the church is central 
to Christian living. How true, my friends. The church takes a central part to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world and amazingly, in doing so, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. These verses tell us, I believe, how God is establishing his church in the world. Both Gentiles and Jews who trust in Jesus are part of his church in which the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed. The word manifold here means many colored. So the idea here is a multifaceted, multicolored wisdom. This word comes, refers also, if you look back into the Old Testament, of Joseph's coat of many colors. Remember that coat? Genesis chapter 37. And the brothers got jealous. The father had given Joseph that coat. The idea here now is that in Christ, the church is like a multicolored coat. The church now has people from every tribe and nation. It is multicultural, multi-ethnic. A wonderful work that God is doing. And we see such a blessing right here in our church. Notice also, friends, that although the gospel is preached to mankind, it does bring a message to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is what I might say a cosmic dimension of the church's ministry in this world and also to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Much has been written about this, but the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, um, I think here, is referring to perhaps the angels. I would suggest that these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places could be these angels, messengers of God. See, they were active when Christ was born. And God not only revealed to them his plan for the church, sorry, God had not revealed to them his plan for the church in the world, but now it has been made known, and even the angels are looking and seeing this plan being worked out. There is this heavenly connection, and they are so eager to see God displaying his power and bringing people of all nations, tribes, and languages, a multicolored, multifashioned, a manifold wisdom of God being displayed in bringing people into salvation. Moving out of the Jews now to the Gentiles. And they are interested in this. And so, my dear friends, the church has the responsibility to make God's plan of salvation known to the whole world. That is why this morning I encourage you and I prayed for the church where? In Australia. You think if the church is strong, we will impact our society, would we not? If the church is strong, it will impact our politicians, correct? If the church is strong, it will communicate a strong, vibrant gospel message for Australia. I don't know about you, my friends. I'm just sharing personally with you. I pray every day for this country. I'm sure you do as well. You know I'm a migrant. I don't know much of the history. I still learn new things about this country every time. I learn new words. When somebody asked me once, when I first came, uh, how are you going? I had, I had no idea. I thought, I'm going by train. 
someone asked me, oh, we went somewhere and said, bring a plate. And I thought, what do I do? Bring a plate? Do I bring an empty plate with me so that I can take food back? You learn new things. The penny has dropped. New things again. See? But I pray for this country because we love this place. And we want to see God do a great work in Australia, don't we? We want to see men and women and boys and girls come to faith in Christ. I speak to many senior members of this church. We discuss a lot of these things on my Friday morning Bible study group. You can talk to me. We have a fantastic time there. And they tell me about the days that have gone by. And what has happened to our nation. I'm sure the senior members of this church will be, will be crying in your hearts to see where our nation is at today. And we need to be praying for this country. The church. You see people will scorn the church. People will persecute the church. Many will challenge the church and its gospel values. And no doubt the church is not perfect. No doubt the church has sadly not been the best witness in the world. And in some situations, terrible witness. As we have seen in the past few weeks on our TV screens and, and children being abused and so forth. Unfortunately, the whole church is tarnished. And the average person does not know the distinction between a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church. And a, but the Presbyterian church is the only church, by the way. No, it's, 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 not, it's not. They don't know that. And so the whole church is being tarnished. You see, but the true church is one that preaches the gospel. In fact, from a Reformed perspective, we speak of three distinctive marks of a true church. One, the preaching of God's word. Two, the administration of the sacraments. That is in our church, the Lord's Supper and Baptism. And three, the third mark of a distinctive mark of a church is church discipline. We don't talk much about that, do we? Three distinctive marks. You see, the true church is one that takes its role seriously. And this is why we should take church seriously. Do not be lazy about church. It can be tempting, I said here in my notes, to be a tourist in the church. I've never read about this anywhere. It came up in my mind, so put it on my notes. To be a tourist. You know what tourists do, right? We go, we look, take photos, say, wow, this is nice. Mm. And then we go back. Could church be like that as well? You're a tourist, you come, you sit back, wow, it's great. Hmm. Oh, I like it. I'll be just a tourist. I don't, I'm not saying you take photos. <laughs> I look in your mind, you think, oh, this is all good. Go back again. Don't be a tourist because you, you, you are part of the family of God. If you're a Christian, then you are part of His family, right? You are the, we are the church. It's not this. It is not this brick and mortar, right? It is you and myself, the church. And God has put us here in 2015, has his people in his church. And if you are a Christian, then pray for the church. Be part of it. Get involved if possible in the life of the church of which you are a member. For example, don't get into the habit of skipping church on the Lord's Day. Someone may ask the question, what about those who are frail and fragile and have health reasons and cannot attend? Well, the Lord knows their situation. He does. But for, for those of us who can, listen to what the author to the book of Hebrews says. And let us, not consider how, let, sorry, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good 
works. Not neglecting to what? Uh-huh. To meet together as is the habit. You see, we can get into habits, isn't it? It's very easy to get into a habit. Well, I have my habits in the morning. I get up and I have... Rose will always say this to me. Chris, why are you so routined in the morning? Well, I, I can't function if I'm not actually routined in the morning. I have to get up, I have to drink... I'll just tell you this, a personal thing. I drink two liters of water, empty stomach, every morning. It's, it's a nightmare, right, sometimes. I have to watch it when I'm here on Sundays and not drink two liters in the morning. I run to the toilet, if not. You see what I'm saying? It's, we can easily get into a habit. And when we start thinking about church, when we get into a habit of, well, you know, I'll sleep in today, or I won't come in the night, or I will do this, or I will do that. And before long, it becomes a habit. And it's, a habits take over. And you can't break the habit. See, don't be like that, friends. Do, see, how do you stir one another up to love and good deeds? By being part of the body. For example, you're in our church. Get, try and be involved if you can, if possible, in a growth group. Be involved to study God's word, to fellowship with other people, to get involved in the ministry dynamic of the church. Pray for the church. Be part of it. Use your gifts. Use your talents. Give financially for the work of the gospel. I encourage you, friends. Don't bury your gifts don't bury your talents. Use it, or you will. I don't think you lose it. One of the I, I meet a lady on a, on my walk. She's about ninety years old. It's quite remarkable. Every morning, basically, she's walking, and she says to me, "Well, if I don't use it, I will lose it." I remember that. Use it, I will lose. If I don't use it, I will lose it, Chris. Friends, your gifts, your talents are not yours. It's what God has given you, right? You just use it. Say, Lord, this is, this is what you've given me. I just want to serve you because today you've given me the breath of life. One day I'll be cold and dead. That's it. And I can't use it anymore. Today I can use it for you. So I encourage you to do that. Pray for the church. Be part of it. We are part of this church because the Lord has saved us by grace. The church is made up of all kinds of people and has the privilege to come before God. And look at what the text says in verses 12 and 13. In in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart, Paul says, verse 13, over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, don't lose heart because of my suffering. It is for your glory. We sang this morning before the throne of God, right? Remember that? You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can approach God with freedom. We can approach God with confidence. We can approach God with assurance. We can approach God because we have access to the throne room of God. Anytime, anywhere. How do you think about that? If you want to meet the Prime Minister of Australia... You've got to make appointments, right? Leave the Prime Minister of Australia. If you want to meet the Queen, can you just go into a presence just like that? Would you? I don't think you'd get past the gates of Buckingham Palace. No way. And rightly so. But here is the King of Kings. Here is God Almighty, whose throne room is open 24-7 for God's people anywhere, anytime. What a great God we have, friends. 
Wow, what a mighty God this God is. Don't put God into a box and keep him there. Our God is the God of possibilities. Yes? He's the God of possibilities. Mission impossible. I remember seeing a show. Maybe some of you young people may not know that. Maybe, have you seen the Mission Impossible? No, maybe I'm the only one who's seen it. <laughs> oh, anyway, I had it in Sri Lanka. Mission Impossible where these guys go and do amazing things. And uh, Mission Impossible becomes Mission... And my point is this. Mission Impossible becomes Mission Possible with God. Alright? In His grace and by His power. And so Paul goes on. In verse 14, as we pick up here, the next part here in this text, the prayer that Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You see, because Paul is passionate about the church, he prays for the church. Paul moves on to continue his prayer, which he started actually in chapter 3, verse 1. And he digresses from his prayer. And now he comes back to his prayer in verse 14. Have you sometimes wandered away in your prayers? You're praying or someone, you're in a prayer group and, and, the, and the group is praying and you're supposed to be listening and responding to those prayers and you're thinking, oh, did I put the stove off at home? Uh, what am I going to cook today? Uh, is, um, what am I going to do with my shopping? Uh, have I done my sermon? For a preacher? All those kind of thoughts are going through your mind. It's, let's be honest. Has it never happened to you? Or am I the odd one out? <laughs> Sometimes our, prayer, our minds play tricks, even when we are praying. Even when I was praying this morning, perhaps you were thinking of things. I don't know. But our minds tend to wander away. And the apostles, don't, don't be discouraged because Paul himself had this. He was praying 3.1. He digresses everything about the mystery of God. And bang, he comes in 3.14 and starts this prayer. And look at what he says. For this reason, Paul says, the reason here is the beginning of, this is Paul's second prayer. He says, for this reason... I think the reason here is the fact that the church has now been brought together, um, Gentiles and Jews, one humanity in, in Christ. He says, for this reason I bow the knees in prayer. It was not customary for Jews to kneel when they prayed. In fact, this is what they do, the Jews. Right? When they pray, Jewish custom was to stand for prayer. For example, before the wailing wall in Jerusalem, they would stand against the wall and go backwards and forwards in their prayer. It's hardly a time when they would kneel. See, kneeling was for special moments. For example, when Solomon knelt, when the temple was being dedicated to God. I won't read that entire text there. But you see, in, uh, as you read in the middle of that area there, of the text, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 6, 12-14. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven, and he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven and on earth. Solomon knelt. It was a special occasion at the dedication of the temple. And I see this now happening here. We come to the New Testament. What do we see? We see Paul on his knees. This time he's not seen a, a Jerusalem temple being built. You know what he's seen? Is seen a spiritual temple being built of God's people from Gentiles, Jews, the living stones being built. And what does Paul do? He kneels and he prays. Now, when we read in our text this morning, it doesn't mean that we have to kneel when you pray. It's up to you. But I think what we see here is the attitude 
of submission, of reverence, of humility before God. May you come down on your knees. Or whatever attitude it might be, you come before God with your heart open, your, your heart cleansed by Jesus, and you come empty-handed to this God. Do you see that? Or do we come with arrogance? Of course not. I mean, Paul says here, you see, there are times, friends, that we, we may go on our knees. And Paul bows his knees before the Father. God is the Father of his children. We call God Abba Father. The Lord's Prayer begins with these words, Our Father, who is in heaven. As Christians, we have a Father. We have a Father who cares. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? What's the, the, the latter part of that text? 7b. Because he cares for you. You see, God is our father. We can come for, to him. And he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does Paul mean by every family in heaven and on earth is named? I think it's a fam- the family, is this the f- a reference to the family in heaven? Is this a reference to, to angels? I think my understanding is that this is a reference to his people here on earth and to all the saints in glory who bear his name. I think that's what the reference could be. And notice Paul prays. Here for strength in our inner being with power through his spirit. He prays that according to God's riches and glory, the riches and the glory of his glory is this, friends. Paul has already spoken of God's riches. For example, in chapter 2, 4 and 7, the incomparable riches of God. Look at Romans 11.36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom, knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Such are the riches of God. Is God poor? Do you think so? Is God poor? No. He owns everything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He is the God of grace, greatness. The God of all wisdom who, who lavishes his wisdom, who lavishes his love, who is so generous with himself. Paul says here, Paul's prayer is that God may grant inner strength you see, this incomparable riches of God's grace, God's mercy. See, the riches of God in the context of Ephesians are His mercy and kindness in Jesus towards His people. You see, friends, God has been kind to every believer because He has brought us into His family. The kindness of God. And what does it mean by inner strength? It is strength for our inner being. It is strength for the inner person. It is strength for the center of a person's life. Second Corinthians we read, we read this morning. So we do not lose heart, though our, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Friends, is your outer self wasting away? <laughs> <All right. laughs> you look at some of your photos, albums, photos. They tell the story, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> you look back at the photos. We're looking at some of our albums. You look back at the photos and say. 
man. That was me. And look at me now. What's happened? The outer self is gradually wasting away. But the inner self is being renewed. And what we see here, friends, is that it is our inner self that the Spirit does his strengthening. Here we see the power of the Spirit at work in the life of a Christian. It is the center of a person's life where the Spirit does his strengthening. The Holy Spirit is one of power. The word that is used there in the original is dynamite. The Holy Spirit comes upon you that is dynamite in your life. It is the power of God at work in the inner being by His Spirit. Wow! That the Spirit of God is working inside of you in your innermost being. How much we need to see such power and strength in our daily lives. I told you this morning, I was at the bedside of two people who were so low in their lives. Monday night, family, and Thursday night, and last night. And I read the scriptures on both occasions. And there was a response. There were people in the room who witnessed it. When the word of God was read and we prayed, there was a response from the person lying there. It was an amazing testimony. And I came home and I said to Rose, this text reminds me of that. That God is able to minister to the innermost being of a person than you and I can ever do. Do you see that? Last week at the men's convention, I met the session clerk of Nurat, wonderful man of God. I did the funeral of both his mother and his father. His father was an elder of the church, a godly man. He suffered Alzheimer's, a terrible disease to, to suffer. He couldn't recognize his wife and couldn't recognize his only son. It was so hard for this brother in Christ. I visited that man many times at the, at, the, at the Terang Hospital and at the nursing home there. And we read the word of God. And somehow there was a response. You know why? Because when you and I are perhaps in our dying days on our bedside, my dear friends, when the word of God will be read to us, the spirit of God will minister to our inmost being just as the Spirit of God does that to us today. You and I can never reach the depths of a person's life, can you? But the Spirit can. And Paul is praying for this church. And he's praying for the Christians. And he's saying that God would strengthen your inmost being. Because God knows what is going on in your inmost being. Right? And how does he know that? Well, friends... Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And God knows what's going on. The heartaches, the sorrow, the sadness, the tears, the anxieties, the depression, the mental stress, the trauma of loneliness, the stress of workplace. I was talking to a brother just, just on Friday night. person from this, this congregation who is going through a real tough time in his workplace. And he said to me, Chris, this is hard. Not a, yes, it was Friday night. This is hard for me. And I said, brother, 
will pray for you. And I got a text actually this morning saying how encouraging that was to just meet and talk and the Spirit of God to minister. You see, God knows, friends. He knows your sorrows. He knows your heartaches. He knows mine. And he, He's able to strengthen through the power of His Spirit and to minister deep down in the soul. Do you see that? Do you trust this God this morning? Do you know this Jesus? Who loves you with an everlasting love. One writer puts it this way. What Paul asks for his readers is that they may be fortified, braced and invigorated. That they may know the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement. And the purpose of this is, as we move on to 17a, it seems, it's, Paul says, the purpose of the strengthening of the inner being is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, immediate question that you might come to your mind is, this is strange, don't you think so? If you are a Christian, then Christ already dwells in you, correct? <laughs> correct? Right, that's good. <laughs> he dwells in you through your spirit. Then why would Paul pray this prayer for Christ to dwell in the hearts through faith? You see, friends, Paul is not talking here about salvation. What is seen here is not the initial dwelling of Christ in a person when he or she becomes a Christian. He's not talking about whether Jesus is in your life. Let me explain. I looked at the original text here, and the word that is used here is the word dwelling. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a combined word. It means, I know there are some people here looking at the Greek text this morning. I know you bring your Greek Bible. Some people do. Very scary for a preacher. They tell me after the service, this is a Greek text, Chris. Anyway, you're looking at the Greek text. So if you do, it doesn't matter if you don't know Greek, that's fine. The point of the matter is, the word that is used here is the word house. It is the, idea, the idea is to live in a house. I mean, it's combined with the other word, it's a combination word. It gives the idea of settling down in a house. It is to be at home. It, so the, the, the idea is that Christ is to be at home in your life. You can have a house, and it might not be a home. Do you get the difference? You can have a beautiful house, but it might not be home. Or you can have a ramshackled house, it can be home. See the difference? The point here is this. Is Christ at home in your life? Paul's prayer is that Christ will be at home in our inner lives. The prayer is that the heart, the inner being, will continue to come under the influence of Christ and that Christ will be at home in our lives. That there will be no rooms that are shut out for Christ. Oh, Jesus, you can come into this room, but not into this room. (laughs) Do we do that? Is he at home? That's what Paul is praying for, friends. That Christ may dwell by his spirit, reside in our heart through faith, and from there strengthened with power through his spirit, his people. So in conclusion, in summary, and then I conclude. This morning we have seen the role of the church in the world. Its responsibility to preach the gospel, to make the manifold wisdom of God known. We also see in Paul's prayer, one aspect of the prayer, next week we'll continue on, for inner strength for God's people through his spirit that Christ may be at home in the hearts of his people. And as we conclude this morning, let me encourage you to pray for the church. 
Let us pray for one another that God will strengthen our inner being with power by His Spirit and that Christ will be at home in your life and mine. Would you do that? Lord, be at home in my life. Strengthen me from within. For I am weak and I am frail, but you are strong and you are mighty. Let's pray.